You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. You don't need me to tell you that life is marked by uncertainty. If we forgot that central abiding reality, 2020 should have reminded us whether it is the impact of a global disease, political conflict, economic uncertainty, the impact of extended isolation for some, we are reminded how we're not in control. And in that, for many, hope has been hard to come by. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've found yourself at different times in the last eight, nine, ten months struggling to find hope. Or maybe you know some people. People in your family. People who are your friends. People in the church who have found themselves in seasons over the last few months where they struggle to find hope. And in response to that, we might be tempted to complain or to express our frustrations or air our grievances. I know I certainly have, and I bet you have too. But I was struck this week when I came across a quote by E. Stanley Jones. And he remarked that oftentimes, as followers of Jesus, we kind of look at the world with shock and we say, look what the world is coming to. You ever say that? What is this world coming to? Jones says, that's not what Christians ought to say or ask. Instead, we should respond when we look at the world by declaring, look who has come into the world. This week we celebrated Christmas. I encourage you to celebrate a little bit more. This year, especially one day, probably isn't enough. (laughs) We find ourselves asking, what is the world coming to? And Christmas reminds us that Jesus... God has come into the world in Christ. He isn't distant. He's not detached. He's not an old man upstairs like a grandfather who's only loosely interested in what we're up to. And uh, he's not this irrelevant, you know, far off, unconcerned figure. He's not sitting up in heaven kind of looking over the railing going, too bad for you guys, rough year. Like That's not who he is. He's not the one who sort of leaves the world to its messes. He is the one who comes into the world and he does it in Jesus. Fully God, fully human. Mysterious and beautiful. Hebrews would have us go one step further. 
He is not only the one who has come into the world, He is that, and that is crucial for what He's doing now. But Hebrews wants us to remember not only what He did, but what He is doing. Not only who Jesus was when He walked around on this earth, but who He is now, and what His offices are now, and what His ministry is now, and what He's up to now, and what He'll be doing, not only now, but forever, in His capacity as our High Priest. He's only able to be our High Priest because He came into the world, because He's fully human, because He has experienced everything it means to be one of us. And now, in that capacity, He is at work on our behalf interceding for us as our high priest. And that is an eternal ministry. And that, according to Hebrews, is the basis of our hope. So let's sum it up like this. The forever ministry of Jesus guarantees, without question, the certainty of our hope. In a year like this, who knows what next year will be like? where hope is hard to find and uncertainty is around every corner, there is one thing you can count on, and it is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, born, crucified, and resurrected, intercedes on your behalf forever. When you find yourself tossed about with the uncertainty that this world offers, you can be guaranteed of the certainty of the priestly ministry of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And that, friends, is why we sing joy to the world. That's why we declare His glory, His joy, His majesty, His mercy, His grace, His perfect love. Now, in order to help us see how the ministry of Jesus is connected with our hope, to see how His ministry is this eternal expression of the character of God, Hebrews wants us to kind of pay attention to the history of salvation, right? God didn't just start working towards our salvation in Bethlehem. His work for the salvation of the world goes way back before that. And so Hebrews says, take a look at Abraham. And God makes a promise to Abraham. And we're told about that in chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. God made a promise to Abraham because he had no one greater by whom to swear. He swore by himself. Talk about that in just a second. I will surely bless you and multiply you. And if you go back and read through Genesis, you hear God making these promises to Abraham and multiple times. I've chosen you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you, give you a family. You don't have the ability to give yourself a family, so I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you land for them to to live in, and I'm going to make my covenant. I'm going to bless you, and they're going to be a blessing to the nations. And God makes all of these promises. And how do we know they are certain? We are told that God puts His character on the line here. All this stuff about swearing by Himself because there's no one greater than Himself, the focus is on God's 
character. We're told in verse 17 about God's unchangeable character, the unchangeable character of his purposes. Right? And so, so we're reminded that when human beings have to take an oath or, or swear, you know, maybe you've been to court, maybe you've been a witness, you have to kind of swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and there you go. Fill in the blank, right? If you've never been to court and had to say that, maybe you watched it on TV or something like that. Or maybe you've uh, watched a politician take office, and what do they do? They put their hand on the Bible, and they, usually anyway, and they take an oath. Sometimes there's just a whole stack of Bibles, and you've seen occasionally you'll get somebody, and they pass them out to their friends when it's over or something like that. What's the point of that? The point is to say there is someone greater than me, and this oath is not simply in my name, but it is in the name of that one who's greater. Right? Well, if God's going to make an oath, there's nobody greater. And so Hebrews wants us to see that like, when God, he makes promises and he doesn't appeal to some higher power because he is the higher power. His character is unchanging, right? We take oaths on Bibles because we waffle, <laughs> We go back and forth. We experience temptation. We, we might change our mind. Our purposes are not consistent. God doesn't need anyone else. He doesn't need a stack of Bibles to make His oath on because He is consistent. He is unchanging. His purposes are perfect. His character is consistent. And when He makes promises, He keeps them. And when He promises Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply you, your family, all of the things that go with that, you can bank on it. He is consistent. His character is unchanging. It is forever. And His oath, His promise, embodies and reveals this unchanging element of His character. And this is in contrast to all of the gods in the ancient Near East. Like Abraham would have known about a lot of gods. And none of them had unchanging character and eternal purposes. They just kind of, you know. They look, actually, they looked a lot like the people who created them, <laughs> as false gods often do. And so the God of Abraham is fundamentally different than every other God wannabe. He keeps his promises. His character is consistent. He is unchanging in his purpose. He has a plan he works his plan. And his plan in the promise to Abraham was always aimed at Jesus. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. Your family is going to be a blessing to the nations. And the yes to that promise was always, always, always going to be fulfilled in Jesus. So we are told that that unchangeable character is the ground of our hope. Let me read this again to you. This is uh, chapter 6, verse 17. In the same way, when God desired to show you more clearly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God would prove false, Impossible that God would be false. You don't know anybody else like that. Just remember that. It's impossible for God to be false. 
we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We who have taken refuge. Listen to the way he defines and describes the people of God. Like We're not out there in the open. We're not out there just susceptible or vulnerable to the elements or opposition we have taken. We are those who have taken refuge. Where have we taken refuge? We have taken refuge in Jesus. And having taken refuge in Him, we are encouraged to take hold of something. And what is the something? The something is hope. That something that has been so hard for so many to come by this year. Hope. Those who've watched family members suffer with illness. Those who have struggled with illness themselves or the challenges that come with isolation. All these things. Seize the hope set before us. And we have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus is. We have hope in Jesus because he has come to us and has now entered into the heavenly temple behind the curtain where God is, where the Father is, where the manifest presence of the glory of God is experienced and seen and revealed. That's where Jesus is. And there, He is a priest. And His priesthood is not a temporary thing. It is a forever thing. There's a couple things I want to mention here before we move on. First of all, uh, if you've ever wondered where that little uh, the anchor logo that we use for the church came from or was inspired by, this is it. Uh, hope is in our name, right? Hope Hall UMC. We are hope people. Uh, and Hebrews tells us about we have a hope that is a sure and steadfast anchor. So when we came across that anchor with the sunrise and the cross in the middle of it, we thought, wow, that'd be great for a people with hope in our name. Let's go with it. And, uh, and we did. So if you've ever wondered about where the little anchor symbol came from with the sunrise over the top and the cross in the middle, this is where it was inspired. The other thing I want you to see is that there are two unchanging realities that are described in this text. And this is where we're going to kind of land ourselves for a while and just circle and focus on this relationship. One of them is the forever character and purposes of God. We've talked about that. God's promises don't change throughout history from Abraham to Jesus. He has a plan and he works the plan and he does it consistently and he does it without changing. He doesn't rewrite the plan. He doesn't go to plan B. He, he has a plan and he stays with his plan. The other eternal thing is the priestly ministry of Jesus. Jesus forever represents us to God and he does it perfectly. This is why we are encouraged to seize the hope, the hope named Jesus, 
who's gone into the most holy place, where God is, behind the curtain. It helps to know that in Hebrews, which comes later in it, we won't get to this today, uh, the tabernacle and the temple that Moses, or the, that Moses was instructed to build, we are told, is a shadow of the heavenly temple. Right? So you got the real thing in heaven, courts and holy of holies and curtain and behind the curtain, the most holy place. That's the real thing. And the one that you get told about on Sinai, the tabernacle is a copy or a shadow or kind of a model. Right? Maybe you've ever taken a model airplane and held it up next to the real thing and you're kind of like... <laughs> It's very clear which one is the real thing and which one is the copy. Hebrews says the real thing is where the presence of God is manifest in heaven. The thing that we have on earth or had on earth is a copy. Where is Jesus? He's in the real thing. And that's where He is forever. And what He's doing there is ministering on our behalf as our rescuer, as our intercessor. He is calling our name before God the Father. We're told in the first couple of chapters, He stands before God and says, Here I am and the children you've given me. Here I am with my brothers and sisters. If you want to know their names, here's the list. And your names are on the list. And Jesus says, Here I am with the brothers and sisters you've given to me. And that's His intercessory. That's what He does right this moment. And He will never stop. Never he will always, always, always call your name and my name. Those who belong to him, he will call our names before his father. Now there's all this stuff about this guy Melchizedek. That may be new to some of you. It may be familiar to some of you. It's a little hard to say. Uh, you think that's hard to say. Go back to Genesis and read all the other names, and that's even harder to say. So it's chapter 14. If you're bored this afternoon, just pull out a Bible and there's some crazy words going on there. But here's the gist of it with Melchizedek. We don't hear a lot about this guy. He's very mysterious. I'm not going to like play a guessing game. I'm not going to make assumptions. There are all kinds of crazy stuff. Is this the incarnation before the incarnation? Is this, like, is this Jesus way back with Abraham? Like All kinds of stuff comes up. And I'm, I, there's just not a lot of really strong evidence. So what's going on here? Well, first of all, let's just get the story straight. Abraham... You know, we kind of uh, we think of Abraham a lot of times as this old guy who's kind of feeble and you know just is past his prime and can't have kids and all these things like that. But if you read through Genesis, Abraham's a pretty tough guy and a pretty serious player. Uh, his his uh, his relative Lot, remember Lot, guy's wife got turned into a pillar of salt. Lot gets captured by some neighboring tribes, and so Abraham says, "Well, I got to go get my relative back." And so he gets his army together, and uh, they jump on their horses or whatever they're riding, and they ride over there and take it to these neighboring tribes and rescue Lot and, like, take all their stuff. So when you think Abraham, don't think, like, decrepit old guy in a geriatric ward. Think, like, tribal chieftain who, if you kidnap his relatives, will kill you. Okay? So just rethink Abraham. That's the kind of person we're talking like ancient Middle East, like swords and fighting. Like that's the kind of tribal chieftain who comes after you if you mess with his people. 
And so after that, Abraham comes back with the spoils of battle. And this guy named Melchizedek shows up. And he is said to be a priest of the God Most High. Which is interesting because we haven't been introduced to any priests. Like Exodus and Leviticus are centuries into the future. We haven't gotten that far yet. Uh, and yet we have this person who's a priest of God. And we don't get a lot of information. He doesn't, we don't, there's no genealogy. We don't hear about his father or his mother. We don't hear about his kid. Like we, get, we get nothing. He just shows up, and Abraham honors him and gives him a tenth of all of the spoils of war. And Melchizedek blesses him. And he's got this priestly role. And that's about all we get. Hebrews picks up on this. Because we have a little bit of, prob- of a problem when it comes to Jesus being our priest. What's the problem? The problem is that Jesus wasn't part of the priestly tribe. Uh, Jesus was descended from who? Anybody remember what it said? Come on, Pat. Shout it out. I knew Pat wasn't tracking with me on this one. She's a Hebrews fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? That's what we're dealing with here. But the priests don't come from Judah. They come from Levi, right? This is Aaron's family. And so how is somebody from Judah going to be a legitimate priest? Because the law says the priests come from... We need a priest. We need Jesus to take his blood into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. Not the shadow one, the real one. The one in heaven... We need him to do that for us, but he's not descended from Aaron. He's not a Levite. He's in the wrong tribe. How's this going to work out? Hebrews says, well, there's this one other priest. We don't hear a lot about him. Kind of a curious fellow, a bit mysterious, but hey, he wasn't a Levite either. And it turns out, if you read the Psalms, Hebrews is thinking through this, that God has declared Jesus as a priest, not in the whole Aaronic Leviticus thing, but following after the order of this Melchizedek guy. Again, we don't know much about him, but he's a priest, and his priesthood apparently is an ongoing thing. And so we are told that once again, God has made an oath. He made an oath to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, and he has made an oath to Jesus. You're a priest, and you're not just any old normal kind of priest. You're a forever priest. Your priestly ministry will, go, will, will be forever. It will not end. We get the quote from Psalm 110. It is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Aaronic priesthood, you had it for a limited period of time. Your dad would do it, you would do it, your son would do it. You pass it on, it goes, you get a few years, you get maybe a lot of years, but it's limited in its duration. It was imperfect, it was temporary, it was not lasting. This one, the one that Jesus has, God himself says on the basis of his own character, this is forever. This is unchanging. 
And so the character, like this is the thing, right? God's got his forever character. God's got his eternal unchanging character. And his forever character is expressed in his forever promise to Jesus. You're going to be a priest forever. Like, I'm giving this to you. It's not going away. This is your vocation. This is your identity. It's your ministry to pray for and intercede for my family forever. You will all, he will always represent us. He's not ever going to go, hey, you know what? I'm through with you guys. My term is over. I've come to the limit. I'm retired. Like Jesus doesn't retire. He doesn't grow, he doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get tired of us. Tired of us. We get tired of each other sometimes. He never grows tired of us. He always stands before his father and says, Here I am, and my brothers and my sisters, the children you've given. Here we are. And I'm not coming into your presence without them. When you see how the, I mean, like there, we get a, this glimpse into the life of the Trinity, friends, where the Father says to the Son, I've got a job for you. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna minister on behalf of my family forever. You're going to bring them into my presence forever. They'll only ever come into my presence if they come through you. And it's, you're going to do it. It's going to be an eternal gift. We're never stopping. This is, this, is, this is always, this is a firm commitment. I mean, you try making a forever promise. Serious stuff, isn't it? God says to Jesus, this is your job forever. And Jesus says, I'll take the job and I'm bringing it. And here I am. With my family. He never grows weary of that. He never grows tired of it. And that's why Hebrews says, we have more hope. Better hope. More excellent hope. It's through that hope that we approach God. You get a little bit of hope with those Levites. At least they're helping you relate to God. You get a better hope with Jesus because He unites the nature of God and the na and human nature in His person, and He brings us into the presence of God. The one who has come into the world has gone into the heavenly sanctuary, so that we who are in the world can go with Him into the presence of our Father. The forever ministry of Jesus guarantees the forever certainty of our hope. Guarantees. There is no going back on Jesus. He is an eternal priest. He never dies. He never resigns. He never retires. And His eternal purposes, His unchanging character gives us more hope than we could imagine. And so the thing for us, when we look at the world right now, is to resist the temptation to be discouraged by what we see. Where is hope? Look at the world. Hebrews says, 
Don't just look at the world. Look at the one who's come into the world and who now prays for the world in heaven. Look at his excellency. Look at his beauty. Look at his majesty. He is your refuge is the word that is used. Like, how many of us need a refuge this year? <laughs> I could use one. It's been kind of a rough year. Like, I've had to do things this year I never expected to ever have to do in my life. We have all had to pivot. We had to change the plan. God doesn't change his plan. We had a plan. We had to change the plan. We had no choice. We roll around to the end of the year. Things don't go according to plan. And we think, man, I need a refuge. And Jesus says, I am your refuge. I am your hope. Like, don't look out there. Don't look at your ability. Don't look at your leadership capability. Don't, don't rely on your education. Don't rely on like, any of these things. Like, you trust me, he says. You trust me. I'm your refuge. And in this, we begin to see, we begin to see his heart, don't we? We begin to see the heart of Jesus himself. We begin to see his, his perfect love. For him to accept this eternal vocation means his heart is filled with eternal love for us. Perfect love for us. He's engaged in this ongoing ministry for us. Like When you find yourself discouraged, take a minute and just think, Right now, at this moment, and for every moment in the future, Jesus intercedes for me. Even though I've rebelled against him, even though I've sinned against him, even though I've broken his heart, he does not break his intercession. Even though I've held him at arm's length, even though I've chosen darkness over light, he does not stop. Like that perfection, that passion, that, 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 friends, we've not even begun to imagine how big that is. We can only hope that each day he will enlarge our vision a little bit more so that over time we'll get closer and closer and closer to imagining the perfection of his love for us. And here's the thing, as he does that, as he helps us to see the perfection of his love in increasing measure, more accurately than the perfection of his love gets reproduced in us. That aspect of his care, like as we set our eyes on, as we take hold of this hope, as we seek refuge in him, right? People who seek refuge are not people who have it together, are they? Like people who seek refuge are not people who have got this under control. Like that's, people who think they have it under control are not seeking refuge. They're out front, right? They're like, we don't have it under control. We need refuge in Jesus. And so we see this. He offers this to us. We see it, his missional heart. Right? Christmas, friends, if we don't see this at Christmas, how can we ever see it anyway? Like Christmas is the mission of God. Like we send people out on mission trips sometimes. Like Christmas is the ultimate mission trip. When God Himself crosses a border 
between heaven and earth, between the eternal spiritual world and the finite physical world, to save us, like that's the original mission trip. It's Jesus condescending, limiting himself out of love for us, emptying himself, the scripture says in Philippians 2, becoming obedient under the point of death, even death on a cross, to reconcile all things to God. That's our refuge. That's his, he wants to be a refuge for his people. He wants to be a refuge for the world, friends. And as we see that, as we experience what he offers us, we don't just sort of hold it in. We carry it forward, don't we? Because chances are, you probably know somebody who needs that refuge right now, don't you? Maybe there's somebody at your office, at your workplace. Maybe there's somebody in your family at your Christmas dinner, if you had one, who needs the refuge, who needs the hope, who has not yet taken hold of the hope that goes into the real temple, the real sanctuary. And maybe Jesus is inviting you be the person who brings that person into this hope. In these uncertain times, it is crucial, essential for the church to embody the character of Jesus. His character is consistent, it is forever, it is eternal, and it is expressed in ministry, bringing us into union with His Father. That character, when we embody it, makes the church an extension of that refuge. So I want to invite you, as we think this week and next week, about Christ's coming and all that He's do, all of His offices in His ministry. What does a church have to do to become a refuge of hope in the world? What have we done to become a refuge of hope in the world? What's the next step in becoming a greater refuge of greater, better hope? in the world. My prayer, my hope, is that, that that's the question that will occupy all of our attention as 2020 comes to a close and 2021 comes to a start. The world needs hope. We have it. It's an anchor. It's Jesus. The question is, what does it look like for a church to become a place where people come to us seeking refuge?
We can't wall ourselves. You know, some churches have been like, hey, it's crazy world out there this year. Let's hunker down and just kind of hope we make it through. Like a turtle sucking up into its shell and just kind of wait till the threat is gone. You're not a refuge if you do that. What does it look like for Hope Hole United Methodist Church to be a refuge of hope? It's in our name. <laughs> what does it look like for Hope Whole United Methodist Church to be a community that magnifies hope into the world? To be a hope community. So that people who are struggling, people who are weary, people who are lonely, people who are longing, Seek refuge here. Not because we're particularly good at church, but because we point to Jesus, who is our hope. His ministry is eternal, his love is perfect, and the hope that he gives is a better hope than any alternative. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.